morning. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So this morning we begin a series on the life of David. And we're going to look this morning at the beginning of that story. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about why David is such an important story and what it is that perhaps, why it is that it's important for us to spend some time with him. First of all, one thing that should be noted is that the David story is the most documented story in all of Scripture. In the whole Bible, we know more about David and his life than anyone else in the Bible. So why is that David story so important? Well, as Megan just alluded to, first of all, the David story is the pre-story to the story of Jesus, who is called in Scripture the Son of of David. So part of the reason the David story is so important is because it leads and points to that story, that ultimate story of Jesus. The second reason I think that the David story is so important is that it gives us a reference point for the incarnation, for the idea that God takes on flesh in Jesus and becomes human so that we can understand it. The David story is an earthy story. It's a story of uh, real life. Now one of the challenges I think that we have as kind of modern people is we often make this false division between spiritual and physical. We often think of uh, things that are spiritual as non-physical, kind of up here and physicals down here. Uh, one of the theological words that we use for that is we, have, we divide things into the sacred and the secular, which really in Scripture doesn't really have that sense because in Scripture all of life is spiritual. And so part of what we learn in the David story is the biblical view of this more holistic understanding of life. So for us, it's important to understand that earthiness because when it comes to the story of Jesus, that is God's love embodied for us. We believe that God took on human form in Jesus. And it's important for us to not separate those two things, that spiritual and physical Presence. The second part of that that's important is to recognize that we then, in turn, if the gospel is embodied for us in Jesus, then we, in turn, embody it for others. One of the popular sayings back uh, in the, when I was a kid was that, um, that you might be the only Jesus that someone ever meets, right? This idea that we embody God's love because of God dwelling in us through Jesus. Think of the Apostles' Creed. At the end of the Apostles' Creed, we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body. 
So this idea that we take on flesh, that we have bodies, that there's this uh, connection with us that uh, is important. We live an embodied faith. We are physical creatures. And we do ourselves a disservice when we try to separate this idea between uh, spiritual and physical because everything really is spiritual. I think we see this in our current situation, right? I read an article a while back at the beginning of, of quarantine about Zoom fatigue. And the whole idea of this article is that we are embodied people and that we, uh, as human beings, we long for connection and that that connection goes beyond just that kind of one-dimensional screen. And so when we communicate, we are looking for physical signals but that we don't even realize and we're watching for those things and trying to find them. And when we're on a screen, our bodies are trying to find that, those physical, that physical communication that we can't pick up. And so we get fati extra fatigue, which is why uh, we are so tired after all, all these Zoom meetings, right? It's because our bodies are looking for these signals that they can't find through that medium. We long for that embodied connection, that earthiness. Another reason would be that this idea that Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this idea that our spirituality is connected to what happens here. It's not just someday in the future or up in the spiritual realm. It's here and now. It's earthy. So recovering the David story gives us a world to understand what it looks like to live a life of faith. It is an orienting story. It's a story that helps us to make sense of how it is that we're to live life. The story of David in the Bible is the story of a real life. A complicated, messy and oftentimes broken life, but real life nonetheless. In the midst of that real life, we learn about David's real faith. Faith that engages that messy, broken life head on. David teaches us that real life requires real faith. This is the kind of real faith we need in the midst of our own real lives. You see, the danger of separating the sacred and the um, secular or the physical and the spiritual is that we lose sight of that fact that real faith intersects and matters to us right here in the middle of our complicated, messy, real lives. And so that is why we look at the story of David. So turning to the scriptures in 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13, that's where we're going to pick up the story of David, as, and it's the section that Megan just talked with us about, but I'm going to read that section to us. So 1 Samuel 16, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. 
But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So this is the story of David's anointing. This story reminded me of something that happened a few years ago um, with me, the way this story is told. Um, One of my guilty pleasures in life, and I recognize especially in this day and age, is problematic, so I'm going to put that out there, is I'm a big James Bond fan. Always have been. Love me some James Bond. A few years back, There was a new Bond film out for my birthday, but I was feeling conflicted. So this was going to be our birthday date, but it was not only a new movie, but a new James Bond. And he was blonde. And this was not okay. (laughs) I was very skeptical of this James Bond. And as those of you who are familiar with these movies know, what's the catchphrase in these movies, right? I'm Bond, James Bond. You hear it over and over and over again in these movies. What was really interesting about this movie is it's as if the writer and the director understood that people were very skeptical of this new Bond. And the whole movie goes by. And then finally, at the end, he says, when someone asks his name, he says, Bond, James Bond. And I found myself saying, yes, you are James Bond, right? So why do I tell that story? Well, if you'll notice, in the way that this story is told in Samuel, David's name is never mentioned until the very end. 
And I want to think about that this morning. In fact, when we look at this passage, so Jesse has seven of his sons pass before the prophet Samuel, and none of them are the right one. And finally, Samuel says, is, are, these, is this all your, are these all your boys? Is this are all your sons? And Jesse says what? He says, well, no, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. That word, the youngest, there is still the youngest. In Hebrew, it's hakaton, the youngest. And there's a tone, uh, a context of kind of derision or denigration with that, with that saying, the youngest. Jesse is the youngest of all these boys. You'll notice, it gives you an idea of where he falls in importance. They stop naming the boys after three, right? So it's like he named the, the oldest three, but then after that, it's just oh, they, the others passed two, right? Doesn't even have a name, just the youngest. And he's tending the sheep. There's no name given. He's tending the sheep, which... Just to give you a context, we romanticize this idea of the shepherd, right? The shepherd in Bethlehem, or in that, in that cultural context, would have been roughly equivalent to, let's say, you know, working in fast food in the kitchen, right? It's not a prestigious or a sought-after position. It's kind of a, a beginner-level position. It's not one that's honored or romanticized or... Well, you're the youngest, you can watch the sheep, right? So Hakaton, the youngest. We, in fact, so little was thought of David that Jesse didn't even think to send for him when Samuel says he wants his sons, he wants to bless his sons and to see his sons, right? He's not even on the list. He doesn't even get the invite, He's not, a, he's not an afterthought. He's no thought at all. And yet this is the one that Samuel, that when he passes in front of Samuel, the Lord says, yes, this is him. Now, one of the questions I have, and I have a long list of questions that one day I hope to get answered in heaven. And one of them is this. This story always cracks me up because what does it say at the beginning of the story? It says God does not look on the outward appearance, right? But what does it say about David? Oh, well, he was really, he was ridiculously good looking, right? I mean, that's, a, that's, that's kind of the context. It's like David comes and it's like, well, he was ruddy and handsome and, and you know, really good looking. But you just told us that that didn't matter, but you're pointing it out. Very interesting. I don't have an answer to that. It's free. I'm not going to fix it for you, but it's a question that we have. But as it, the text tells us that God's looking on the inside, he sees something in David that no one else sees. Certainly something that Jesse didn't see, something that that culture didn't see, because he was Hakaton, the youngest. He didn't even have a name. And so what captures me about this idea is that we are all David. I have never met a healthy, um, well-adjusted adult who does not admit to having feelings of, inad of inadequacy, right? We all have them. We all have, we all have those feelings of like, well, I'm not quite sure that, that I'm good enough 
or that I can do it, or whatever it might be in whatever area of your life, if you're a healthy, well-adjusted person, you have those thoughts. We are all David. David is now the anointed one of Israel, right? Samuel has come. All the sons have passed by. David is, has been anointed as the next king. But what does he do next? He goes back to work. Uh, as we follow the story, and we'll hear more about this next week, but in later, just a few um, verses later, uh, David enters the service of King Saul. And um, the, the text in verse 17 says, Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And then further in the next chapter, in 17, uh, verse 15, it says, David went back and forth from Saul to, to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. What do we learn about David in that context? We learn that David is diligent in the small things. David is diligent in the small things. Think about this. We don't know exactly what Samuel said to David when he anointed him. And isn't that curious? I mean, it tells us that David, that Samuel anointed David as the next king, and so presumably David knew that this is what was happening, but we don't know what Samuel said to him exactly. And it, it wouldn't be hard to imagine a young man like David to get ahead of himself in that situation. I've been anointed. I am the next king. I'm important. I don't have time to tend sheep. I've got other things that I need to do, right? I mean, he has been anointed, after all. He's been chosen. Presumably, Samuel has let him know that this is what happened. But David continues to be faithful in the little things. He does not think himself above the task set before him. He works. He pays attention. He is formed. Why is this important? Well, next week we'll talk more about this, why it is important. It becomes important very quickly. But just a little clue in verse 17, when David comes to the valley of Eli, Elah and faces Goliath, how does David know that he can stand up, that he can stand before Goliath and he can take him? Well, he knows because in chapter 17, verse 37, he says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David was attentive to the small things. He was aware that God was at work in his life. He was grateful for those places where God showed up and he was watching for them. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, friends, I think what it means is that if you find yourself in a place where you are wondering about the significance of your life, if you find yourself in a place where you're not sure that God is at work, I would encourage you to take a lesson from the life of David and look for those small things. Because ultimately, in those small things, God is forming us 
in preparing us for the larger things. So that when we find ourselves in the Valley of Elah, which we'll talk about next week, we will be able to recognize the fact that, well, God has shown up for me in all these other places, so why wouldn't he show up for me here? Now, I want to recognize life has a way, or life can have a way, of kind of beating that out of us, right? We have to be intentional about this. And I think that's the lesson that we hear from David. Life has a way of, I mean, life is hard. The older I get, the more I recognize that life has a way of of really kind of kicking the illusions out of us, right? Um, You know, we can find ourselves in places that we would have never imagined. Our family isn't the way that we imagine it might be. Our career isn't where we imagined it might be. Our finances aren't where we imagined it might be. Right? We can all especially understand this in the year that we find ourselves in. But if we can be intentional and learn to, to pay attention to these small things, to see where God shows up, then in those places God is preparing us so that when we come to that place, when we face our Goliath, when we face the things where we need to find the strength to stand, we can look into our past and see, well, God saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. Surely he will be with me in this circumstance as well. So friends, as we journey through this life of David, my hope is is that as we look at this very real, very broken life, that you will see and connect to this very real story. Because it's, it's those small things that prepare us to face the big things in life. And as we come, uh, we're going to journey through this series six weeks And when we're done, we'll enter the season of Advent, the season of waiting for the birth of the son of David. And it's my hope that we will be formed in these small things so that we will be prepared to step into those places that seem overwhelming. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for your love for us, We thank you that even though we are the smallest, even though we are the youngest, even though we think we don't count, you see us. And you are with us. And you are at work in our lives. God, we pray that you would give us the eyes to see those places where you are at work, as small as they might be, that we might hold on to them And that those experiences would form us for those places that you call us where we need to know that you are with us. God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus, the son of David, to rescue us, to make us whole, and to make us yours. We ask all this in his name. Amen.